if you're anything like me and you're troubled by the rate of unemployment, if you're anything like me and you feel charged to make a difference and make an impact, I challenge you to figure out how to create one new job. Welcome to Commerce and Chill. I'm Jessica Johnson Cope. I'm Waleed. And this is. Which camera I'm supposed to off? Pick one. Whichever one you want. All right, you win. I was confused. It was three in front of me. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So this is the podcast where we talk about business, small business in particular, and entrepreneurship, as well as the intersection with life, love, and relationships. What's up, relation? Nothing, ship. (laughs) That's a good one. Let me tell you something. Tell me. I'm listening. I'm a little toasty. Toasty. Oh, boy. Here it comes. I'm crispy. I don't like burnt toast, but go for it. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like my chia is kind of open So today. I was reading in my favorite business publication where nearly one out of every four residents of the Bronx County, that is the county where our office is located, um, is unemployed. Poorest congressional district in the nation. Poorest congressional district in the nation. What are we going to do about it, people? one out of four people is unemployed. 24.7% unemployment rate and... I'm I'm tight to death because I'm like, folks, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. I don't hear much people talking about it. It seems like they're really kind of nonchalant. I mean, I was so frustrated that I woke up like four o'clock in the morning the other day and then just started writing out ideas how to put people from the Bronx back to work. And when I got to the office, I started calling people. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, OK, we get back to you. I'm I, just throwing it out there. I don't know. Actually, no one answered the phone. <laughs> Because they part of the 24% that's unemployed that you call. Actually, no. These people work for elected officials and work oh. in economic development. Oh, so maybe they out. And work in workforce <laughs> development. Maybe they out. And community development. But maybe they're working from home. You know, still people out of the office because of COVID. Okay, so then how do you explain not calling people back for a whole... Well, not calling maybe, me back for a whole week. Maybe... They, I don't know. Maybe they don't have access to their voicemails in their office. I don't know. Maybe they don't use voice over IP. I don't know. Maybe they still have the, uh, a, vo- uh, a voice... Um, What's that thing back in the day? An answer machine where you got a cassette tape in it and they got to physically be there to... Press. You got to record the message. They got to play back messages. <laughs> message 12. But I'm, but I'm thinking, you know, if you're fortunate enough, blessed enough to have a job in this market and you can potentially impact whether or not other people have jobs, how are you going to take that lightly? Like, how are you just going to sit on the sidelines and not be responsive? Everybody's like, that's an emergency. That. Like, right there, that is a bona fide emergency. Everybody's not built the same, Jay. Some people, like, they're like, I'm good. So they're not pressed about what's going on with everybody else. Okay, so I'm just going to start out the gate to say... We interrupt this program. Important instructions will follow. If you don't realize this, creating jobs, workforce development, economic development is everyone's job. If you are in business, that is part of your job. I don't care if you're sole proprietor. I don't care if you're in multi-level marketing. But as part of the business ecosystem in this country, part of your job is economic development and job creation. So unemployment is part of your challenge and we as entrepreneurs what do we do we face challenges we eat challenges for breakfast every day what are you miss pac-man just yes eating i'm the, like eating the pellets. pac-man <laughs> you're just eating the pellets i'm eating the pellets i'm eating the job pellets so that we can create some more jobs so today's topic is my first job because i can 
finally reflect back to the first job that I had, what impact it had on me and why it makes me want to have a similar long lasting impact on the life of a youth or an adult, um, but to be very intentional about what we do to make sure that we're creating paths to long-term employment, paths to sustainable wages, paths to economic freedom. John always said, he, he always saw the best in us and he never gave up. During the funeral services for the late <laughs> representative John Lewis, you gonna lose your job. Um, there was a gentleman who gave remarks who talked about the plantation economy where people are more worried about control than they are about freedom and economic equity. That may, that that may be like really deep, like, taking uh, his word out of But if we want to get beyond the plantation economy, we have to work together to it create depends the jobs. On who's, it depends on who owns the plantation. So you're talking about getting out of the plantation economy. The question is, who owns the plantation? Because I'm sure the person who owns the plantation doesn't want to get out that economy. But the people working on the, the people working on that plantation probably want to get out that economy. Maybe because it could be like Stockholm's. Was it Stockholm syndrome where you fall in love with the person starts to like and love the person that um, kidnapped them or captured them? It's all it's, it's deep mental stuff there. So item number two, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast today, n number one, it's our responsibility to create jobs and economic development. And number two, own your own plantation and be the boss of your plantation. Because <laughs> You've been talking about Prince too much. That's his quote. He's like, uh, create your own plantation. Create your own foundation of ever living on a plantation. Shout out to Lawrence. Wally, when you hear the quote, Create your own foundation or forever live on the plantation. What are your thoughts on that? Hey, Lawrence. <laughs> Cashing in dreams. Um, but in a plantation economy, own the plantation. Don't be the hired help. Let's flip this game around. What? You, you telling everybody should own a plantation? I think everybody should own something. Where if you're not a plantation owner? You got to change and your for mindset. The, for the record, I'm, I'm, we're talking about the plantation being a business. And then creating a business to employ people. So not like a plantation slavery. So let's peel back the onion. Because you and I were having this conversation the other day. Understand if you live in the United States of America, we the people, right? This country was founded on the premise of there being inequity in the system. It was founded on a premise of landowners having power greater than that of non-landowners. It was founded on people who owned people having free labor benefiting more than people who were actually doing the labor. So if you don't own property, if you don't have someone working for you, if you don't understand how the system works and use the system to work in your favor, that is leverage, then you will forever be working on the plantation instead of building your own foundation. So those are my big two takeaways for today's episode, but we can keep going. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you've opened a can of worms with that because I'm like, I'm, I'm on the fence about that one. What are you on the fence about? Because, like, it, the, that whole saying, I don't know, how, I didn't hear how he said it, so I can't really speak to it. But to tell to that saying, if he was saying in the context of, you know, don't be on a plantation, you know, get your own. Like, first of all, everybody's not cut out to be a business owner. So, there's nothing wrong with having a job. And I think that's one of the problems these days. 
people are out there glorifying and making it seem like it's they're vilifying people who have a nine to five. Wait, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying what you're and saying. And I'm not saying that's what he's saying. I'm not saying it either. And I'm I saying, know that but you that, always say that everybody's not meant to own a business. That's, that's part what, of it. But that's part of what's going on in today's today's. I don't know if you want to say economy or it's it's the thing now because it's cool to be an entrepreneur right now because everybody wants not everybody but people be like oh I want to text. But you say that all the time, so we don't. But it's true. No, but let's focus on a different part of it. Even because somebody who might be listening now who didn't hear it before. Even if you don't own a business, you need to own something. Okay, well that's I I can agree with that. You need to own something because if you don't own something, you'll be forever beholden to some to somebody else. Even if you own a garden window box you can grow your own fruits you can grow your own vegetables so that you can be self-sufficient with your own food and you won't have to be dependent on somebody else whatever you do save your coins and buy something so you own it something that appreciates buy something in something, value, an asset or a liability, an asset. Okay, that let's be specific. That appreciates in value. Something that's going to appreciate or, gen- or generate some income for them. There you go. There you go. Because you Otherwise, say buy something. I'm not talking Michael about buy some Yeezys, buying, buying some that Louis Vuitton, some red and bottoms, and matching wallet. That's not what I'm talking about. The LV. I'm talking about buying an appreciating asset or an asset that will put money in your back pocket. Okay. Or your bank account. Or your crypto account. Um, But one of the ways to get to ownership is by building your work ethic, building your value system, building your skills. And for many people, that starts with their first job. So what was your first job? The first job somebody got for me was Miss Narcissus Fret Moses. She sits on the board with me for the, um, I was about to say nursing home, but for the um, home health aids in Bed-Stuy. She got me my first job, like first I had to go like punch in, report to work. And it was for a nursing home in Cobble Hill. And I had to do data entry work. So basically it was a it was a stack of papers this high. And it was these forms people fill out. And I just had to sit there and type them in the computer. And the computer back then is not what the computer is these days. It was like this orange colored. Was all, it a compact? I might have been a compact. I don't know. But all the the, the um, characters on the screen were like this orange color, like Hamlet shirt, but darker. It's like, you know, back in the day, like you, people look at the Matrix and they see all the green characters and they just be like, ooh, that's the movies. No, that was real, that life. Was real life. It was green. It was orange. Or it was like that white grayish color. That was it. And I sat there and I entered them in. And then that was my first I did that during the summer. That was like my first job. Did job. you need working papers to do that? I was old enough. Because back then, I don't know how old you had to be to have working papers. 14. Oh, I was like maybe, I don't know, 15, maybe something like that. That was like my, that was my first, like, go work for somebody. Somebody introduced me, got me the job interview type job. Yeah. First job I created was with Barry. And that's when we were, um, Shout out to Barry. Yeah, that's like, that's an episode of its own. We always talked about being entrepreneurs. We were like, yeah, we're going to be in like, we're going to have an office. We're going to sit around and wear suits. All the time, we had no clue to what it's really like. Um, Yeah, so I guess that was our first job. That story gets really crazy. Like, we'll have to do another episode on that because we learned about employees and some other stuff then too. That's a whole other thing I can't like. What was your biggest lesson from your first, those first two job experiences? At the nursing home? Like I remember that thing like it was yesterday. That's scary. Um, 
I try to think what was the lesson I learned. Like, if it's, you you have to show up, because someone ref, someone recommend referred me to get the job, and I basically got hired off of their word. So if I'd have went there and been all lazy and you know blah blah blah, I would have not only made myself look bad, I'd have made the person who re, who got me the job. They didn't even refer me; they got me the job. I just walked in basically, and they were like, "Okay, you alive? What's your name?" Okay, can you do this? Yeah, go to work. So I would have made her look bad. So it's about showing up and getting and doing it and getting it done right. I guess, well, my first work experience was working with Dorothy Johnson, my grandmother. Ooh. And so I, I call that my work at home experience. But one of my biggest memories of working for my grandmother, because we would come in to the office we'd have to answer the phone and send faxes either with billing or other critical information um shout out to the young people who don't know what a fax machine is or how it works <laughs> um but one day my grandmother had stepped out and asked me to answer the phone and i took a message and when she returned she asked me who had called and i had scribbled something on a piece of paper but <laughs> you you're gonna get in trouble <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna lose my job um and she asked me for the person's name and i told her the name and i asked for the phone number and i gave her the number i had scribbled on us like a scrap piece of paper and she called the person back come to find out i wrote down the wrong name and you wrote it on scrap paper you didn't even write it in the message pad not even on the message pad or the, the message notebook you my grandmother out. was meticulous she loved her office supplies and she loved to keep everything Grandma johnson wasn't planned in order and so she fussed at me and my grandmother almost never fussed at me like we were tight that was my girl she fussed at me so i didn't know how to take that she said you always make sure that you write down the name of the person that's calling and if you're not sure Ask them how to spell the name, because when you get the spelling, you that's where you get, get that wrong. from. <laughs> you yeah. tell everybody in the office that when they answer the phone. Now I know where you got it from. And then write down the phone number. And after you write down the phone number, you repeat the phone number to the person on the line to confirm that you got the number right, because that cuts down on any confusion. And here it is, some thirty plus years later, and that message resonates with me. Anytime someone takes a phone message Trust or me. even when we bring somebody new on board. But how many times do you get messages from people where the phone number may not have 10 digits? Because <laughs> it's an international number. That's why. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I get a they lot, don't of, have, don't I get a lot of international phone calls. They don't have calls. enough digits for international <laughs> calls. Um, Brewster calls the office a lot for me. So it's not 10 digits. And I know in some, in some people watching or listening may not even take phone calls or get phone calls but there's something to be said for paying attention to detail by knowing people by name and addressing them by proper name like that could have been a big deal yeah you could have blown for like grandma johnson yes if because you, you had the name wrong you could have got one digit wrong in the phone number right like it's important it reminds me of another time here in the office when we had a a, a young employee and we're expecting a call. <laughs> I know where she's going. We're expecting a call from our accountant. <laughs> and so the employee yells up, Miss Johnson, there's a dickhead on the phone. <laughs> what? She said he said his name was Dickhead. <laughs> I should have told this story. <laughs> it doesn't sound the same if you say it. But go ahead. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, well, how did he spell it? She's like, I don't know. He just said Dickhead. <laughs> no. 
No. His last name was H-E-C-H-T. Hecht. Richard Hecht. Very different. <laughs> How'd you get Dick from Richard? The name Richard is thought by most etymologists to derive from the Proto-Germanic Richhartu, meaning more or less hard ruler. Well, some, that, that he sometimes goes. Oh, the nickname, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He sometimes goes by the nickname. So his, his name was Dick Heck, but she wrote Dickhead. Yes. Talk about confusion. <laughs> Did you call him back and ask for no, Mr. Mr. When Head? I dialed the number, I realized who it was. So that, Hello, saved, that saved any pain. But that could have been a very Hello, difficult... Hello, to Mr. Head? <laughs> a very difficult conversation if I had not known. So... I don't care where you work. I don't care whether or not it's taking phone number, if, if it's taking names, if you're interacting with people. Pay attention to the details and get it right. Dorothy Johnson would want you to be your best and not miss out on that million dollar deal because you wrote down the wrong name and didn't write the phone number she correctly. She wouldn't want you to be a dick heck. <laughs> so that was my first at home job. So what was your first real job? Like that's kind of, you know, it's grandma. So it's kind of somewhat comfortable. If you had asked me a few years ago, I would tell you it was my job working for Audrey Smaltz at the ground crew. That doesn't count either. No, I got to tell the story Because there's still a level of comfort there. I got to like, tell the story first. It's a connection. First. You know them. Like what's your job where you go somewhere and be like, Wait, can I tell the damn, story? Damn, I don't know nobody here. Can I tell the story? I'm scared. Let me tell the story. Like high school, when you first go to high school, and the rule they tell every freshman, never look up at the room numbers because they're going to know you're a freshman. I never heard that. My yeah. graduating class was eight people. I never heard that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> My school had a lot of people in yeah. it. Yeah. I have more, you probably have more people in your class than I had in my whole school. <laughs> it was like 30 people in my class. Oh. Damn, was eight people in your graduating class? Yeah. You went to one of them preppy schools, didn't you? I did. Bougie. No. Bougie. No. I went to public school my graduating class was 20 people. Oh. Yo. Yo. That's a whole nother episode. That's some bougie public school. So my 20, 20 people in the graduating class? Bro, it was 20 people in my chair when I graduated. We ain't have enough room. I can't Not today. 20 people in the class. Not today. We were sitting on top of each other fighting for tickets. Yo, can I get your ticket, man? I want to invite my grandmother. Yo, come on. Jeez, eight people, 20 people? Gosh, jeez, I feel so deprived. So my first job outside of the house, I was working for Audrey Smaltz and the ground crew. Audrey was a church member of ours, and she she has a um, fashion show production company. So she actually produced fashion shows for really high-end uh, designers such as Donna Karen, Ralph Lauren, a whole host of other people. Really fancy stuff. So my first job was a 14-year-old work, working for her. Um, her office was in the same building as Manolo Blahnik. So did you have your working papers at 14? I did have my working papers. I'm just checking because I don't have to call it But DOL. I didn't have my working clothes. So I was just wearing my, my regular summer clothes. I had on like little shorts and t-shirts and my hair in a big ponytail. And Missy Orgy, I still call her Missy Orgy. Missy Orgy pulled me to the side and was like, you got some nice legs. But, you know, sometimes when we go places, you got to dress differently. And she was so loving and gentle, even though she was very, she's just, she has this bigger than life, larger than life personality, um, but was just always so very loving to me. So that's why I still call her affectionately Missy Audrey. So I worked for Missy Audrey, my short shorts and my big puffy ponytail. We worked behind the scenes at the fashion shows. And um, we even went to the, uh, not the Olympics the Republican National Con Convention one year. Okay. When the Com Republican National Convention was in Atlanta, we went down there and we did a fashion show. And she told my dad, he was, she was like, 
I don't have no money to pay for her to go. But if you want her to come, she can come work. And so my dad was like, okay, cool in the gang. And so figured out some way. I ended up there and worked behind the scenes to do a really nice. Did you wear shorts? No. I dressed appropriately. Lesson learned. But it wasn't until I was an adult that Missy Audrey broke down for me what really happened. Well, tell us. Like, don't keep us here in suspense. You started it. Let's finish it. So Missy Audrey laughs to this day. She was like, oh, girl, you know, I didn't have no money to pay you. <laughs> you know, some of these these people don't pay me on time and they don't always pay me in full. She said, your father had a conversation with me. He said, I need her to work. I need somebody else to teach her how to work. So would you take her? I'll pay you to pay her. That's gangster. I'm going to start doing that. People are going to have to pay me to work with us. That's going to be the next level thing. I'm going to flip the game. Watch. So Watch. my dad basically. I'm going to figure it out. And my family underwrote pay my first to work summer job. They paid my employer so that she could pay me. That's next level So that I could get exposure. I could get Your work. Your dad paid the... her for you to work. That's the next level plantation. Wait, let me tell you how it gets next, next level plantation. When I got my check and came home, my dad said, okay, now you got to put away your tithe money. You got to take your 10% out and put it in a dish and put it away so you can put in church. And then you got to save another 10%. So what happened to the other 80%? Oh, the other 80% was mine. But the 10% had to go to church and the other 10% have to go to savings. Okay. And at the end of the summer, you had to get that money to Miss Audrey to pay her? <laughs> no, actually what happened was I thought that my dad was going to say that I had to give the savings to the house because I was still using water and electricity yeah, and eating a lot that. of food I still like to eat. Um, but he said, no, this is going to be an investment for you. We're going to put this money towards your college. And, you know, we wanted to teach you how to save and wanted to show you by example. So it's your money. You got to save it. But you have to put it towards your education. So we're going to hold it. And then when you go to school, we'll get it to you. So there's a lot of lessons in those first jobs. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. That's why you might want to write a book about lessons and first jobs. Yeah. That's why I work so hard to try to create jobs for people and to look past the imperfect candidate sometimes. There is no perfect a, candidate. You know that and I know that, but to hear people some HR professionals say it, that's not the case. To hear some people that work in large organizations, that's not the case. Because the, oh, the so and so has a perfect as edu education, they the perfect, have a perfect perfect and, resume. Like, they what does that mean? Perfect company, and then at the end of the day, they can't write their name. It does, I don't even read resumes anymore. What is the perfect resume? They sat there and and engineered the 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 resume that said everything you wanted to say based on the job posting. Does that mean they can do the job? No. No. It doesn't because the paper says they can do it. That doesn't mean they can do it. And maybe they can do it. And maybe they just don't fit in your company's culture. There is no perfect candidate. So, like, if somebody thinks that, like, hit me up. DM me. Text me. I don't know. Email me. Because I would like you to provide me with the formula to find the perfect candidate. Because I interview a lot of people. And it's hard. It's really freaking hard to figure out who's good, who's going to be a good fit for the firm. Right? It's, it's a guessing game, as far as I'm concerned. You sit down, you meet people, you have a conversation with them. Obviously, if you need them to do, be able to, you know, I don't know, use Final Cut, or you need them to use DaVinci, or need them to be able to use Microsoft Word, that's kind of, you know, definitive. You'd be like, can you use Word? Yeah. Then you're like, what's the button with the arrow going to the left? 
Oh, that's the button for tabs. Wrong. That's the undo button. Sorry, interview's over. Like you, that's you can figure that one out, or you just say, "Here's a laptop." You know, type me something in Word. You can like you can test that, but you can't test. Are you a dickhead? Like you can't. Like it doesn't come out till after the third month when their representative stops showing up to work, and then they come to work in like shorts and sneakers, and they stop wearing deodorant. Like you just don't know until it happens. Hiring is a fucking guessing game. Please it's, don't stop wearing deodorant. Yeah, well, whoever you are, you, if you run out, I don't know, but it's a guessing game. Keep a spare. Keep a spare. Keep a spare. That's all I'm gonna say. It's about a guessing. Keep it in your desk drawer. It's a guessing game. It Ask Miss Sampone. Ask Miss Lee. Every time they meet with someone, this happens. We get to a certain stage, and then the person flips the script. They go. They Harvey Two Face. One minute they're this, and then the next minute they're this, and they're just like, "Well, it wasn't like that in the interview." We did two interviews, or we did three interviews. We did a phone screening. It's just what it is. It's gambling. Mm. Always bet on hiring is guessing, and when you fire, it's a fact because you know already. Now you know. You're fired. You're fired. So you may be watching, you may be listening, and you may be thinking, "What in the world does a first job have to do with me? I either have a job." I've been working for a while or I own a business and maybe one day I'll hire some people. What does it have to do or with retired. me? Think of this. Well, I'm looking for a job because of COVID. I was going to say. Think of this. Because of COVID, the job market and the workforce, as we know, is being totally upended. Never be the same. There are people whose jobs will not return. There are industries that will not return there are wages that will go unclaimed because how services and products are delivered will be changed forever and companies are using the time that they've had during work from home and during the shutdown to reevaluate their finances their budgets and labor is really expensive. And so if you're not bringing value, and that's a repeated theme that you'll hear at Commerce and Chill podcast, is the value that you bring. If companies are not getting value, they're going to cut their losses where they can. So think about what your next first job will be. Think about what your child's first job will be. What the first job you create will be, because we all, again, have a role to play in the reimagining of the workforce and in the recreation of the the economy here in the states. I can't speak for abroad. Um, it's and you said the right word. It's a recreation now. We're starting from almost goose eggs. So if you're anything like me and you're troubled by the rate of unemployment, if you're anything like me and you feel charged to make a difference and make an impact, I challenge you to figure out how to create one new job. Whether it's where you currently work, whether it's in your business, or whether it's in a business that you um, support and pay money to, what one job could they offer to someone and pay someone a decent wage to do that will bring their organization value and will positively impact their community and their customers who spend money with them. If everybody can come up with one job, we can nearly eradicate unemployment. So that's my charge to you this week. I don't know what to say behind that. Everybody create one job. 
All I need is one job. Yo, all I need is one mic. We go with the throwbacks. <laughs> but for real though, think of how many people we have that work multiple jobs who work for us. That if they focus their attention on that one job, brought tremendous value, they could get better wages and then would only need to work one job. But it, like... Uh-oh. <laughs> it's it, like, it's, it's... You're asking someone or group of individuals to change their mentality that they've been ingrained with, you know, overnight. And some people, it's not even that they don't want to look towards, you know, medium term to long term. They're in survival mode. So they're just like, I need to work these, this many hours at this rate so I can make X so I can do what I need to do for my, you know, put a roof over my family's head, feed them or just for themselves. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's kind of hard, especially if it was never modeled or demonstrated. So you're talking about your first job, all these things were modeled to you and demonstrated to you. You you just, you said, your dad said, I'm going to pay you to hire my daughter so she can learn about having a job. So the, and anywhere in, in these individuals, you know, childhood or adulthood in their life, does someone say, hey, we need to make sure this gets modeled or they were in an environment where it got modeled. So maybe their environment was you go try and work 80, 90 hours a week and get all the hours you can. So then you could you could eat, you could pay your bills or you could, you know, go on a trip or whatever it needs to do versus, OK, almost reverse engineering it as you're speaking about. So if I need this amount of money to survive on a monthly basis, if you really took that and broke it down to a smaller no number, mm -hmm. I bet you a lot of people would be shocked to figure out how much that is per day. So how do you want the people to close out? I mean, you said be smart and be practical, put into work, add value. What else did they do? Just do something different. Right. And think about and, and when I say do something different, if you're if you're in it in whatever situation, I'm not saying that situation is bad. But if you're in a situation where you feel you're not comfortable or it's not producing what you want, the first thing you need to do is look at all the people around you. Mm -hmm. And if are any of those people around you doing anything different than what you're than what you're doing or any of those people accomplishing what you want to accomplish, mm -hmm. if you want to be financially stable you can't hang around people who aren't financially stable if you want to have if you want to lose weight you can't hang around people who don't who are not concerned about losing weight if you want to eat healthy you can't hang around people who eat mcdonald's every day so make a change mm. I, I would say that's the most important thing do a self audit and then look at what's around you what you're surrounding yourself with and make a change. What what are you consuming? People get, you know, people quick to forget what you consume is who you are. It's not just the food that you eat. Right. What you eat, what you read, what you what you think, what you hear, what you hear, what you listen to, what you watch. If you on TikTok all day consuming people, you know, I don't know, shenanigans. Doing shenanigans. And dancing. Before you know it, three hours gone by and you just sitting there, you just sitting there flipping, 
flipping, swiping, clicking, swiping, clicking. Right? Surround yourself with what where you what you want what you want. That's that like that's I think the most important gym I can, I can drop. We interrupt this program. Important instructions will follow. Surround yourself with the things and people of where you want to be. Like I don't hang around people or I don't want to go like and you know this like we we'll go hang out sometime with different people we get invited to events and I get bored really 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 fast depending on where we are. Like my attention span is gone because they start talking about like oh woe is me and like things are bad or you know oh what are we going to have to drink and I'm thinking about like what am, what am I going to do with the businesses to get to the next level? Or, you know, what, wh how is this new tax law going to affect us? Or how can I do something so I can be in the news talking about Wally Coast businesses pay zero tax like Amazon. Shame on him. Like, I want to figure these things out, right? I want to be the guy sitting in the news saying, yeah, wealthy people should pay more taxes. Like, I don't have a problem, but the tax law say I don't have to. So until they change them, I'm just going to keep donating money, right? right? Surround you, ch change what's around you. For the better. And I'll just dovetail off of that. Change the jobs around you for the better. Create the economic development. Create the economic impact. Create the workforce that you want to see. Because the job market, the economy starts with each and every one of us. Those are my parting shots for today. I guess we'll see you next week for the next episode. Of Commerce next and Chill. I'm Jessica Johnson Cope. I'm Waleed. We'll see you next Wednesday at... Six o'clock. Holla.